0: Good morning again, church. If you uh, have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to open up to the Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, the letter of Philippians, chapter 2. Before we read the text, when you came in this morning in your worship guide, there's a little insert in there. It looks like this. On the top of it, it's got a Sanford University Ministry Training Institute. I just wanted to take a moment while you're turning in God's Word and while we're transitioning to invite you to consider being a part of this class that I will be teaching with uh, Samford University here in Morgan County. It's been my honor and privilege to be affiliated with the Samford University Ministry Training Institute for about four years now. I've been teaching classes in Tallapoosa County, uh, and uh, I was approached with that opportunity several years ago. And the Sanford Ministry Training Institute, the name is a little bit misleading because it makes it sound like you need to be in ministry to do it. And the reality of it is is that all of us are called to be ministers of the gospel. Some of us are full-time paid professionals, but all of us are called to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the Sanford Ministry Training Institute is a series of 16 classes that are about eight weeks long. They cost $50 to take. You have one book that you read. And it's part of just an opportunity to basically get to know God's Word better and to get to know a little bit better about who God is, what God's Word says. And I've been asked to be involved with it now that I've moved up here, and it is my joy and privilege to do that. So I will be teaching a class starting in the end of March. I think it's March the 26th is when we kick off on the letters of Paul. And we'll be walking through an overview of each of the letters that Paul wrote It's a great opportunity for you if you're a Sunday school teacher and you want to know how to teach God's Word better. You can take that class if you're just a lay person who's always wanted to know God's Word on a little bit more in-depth level, but you don't really want to go and take a Bible course somewhere or, or, or pay for something through a university, you can do this. It's very easy, very doable. So you'll be seeing some more information about this coming up, but I will be teaching this, and I invite you to consider being a part of it and pray over it, and there's registration information there to tell you how you can be involved. If you have any questions, please email me or contact me or see me after church, and I'll be glad to tell you a little bit more about the class. Well, I hope that you brought with you a copy of the Word of God this morning, because there is nothing more important to us as a people than the Word of God. There is nothing more central in our gatherings when we come together as the people of God than to come together to hear a word from the Lord. You see, we live in an age and a time when people in our time want to live off a spiritual diet of of quick-fix spiritual gimmicks and good-feeling religious platitudes. We want We want our religion boiled down into an easy hour with a few nice, easy, practical things to help us get through the week, but not very much of actually seeing what God's Word says and how it applies to our lives. And unfortunately, we've seen that that approach and that method in the church doesn't necessarily produce people who walk in the Spirit, and it doesn't necessarily produce people who look like Jesus Christ to the world around us. And so while a quick fix, let's, let's have five happy hops to heaven and get out of here, while it may produce spiritual religious consumers, it doesn't necessarily produce fruitful Christ-like disciples. And my prayer for us is that every time we gather together, that we come together with a copy of God's Word and a teachable heart, and that the Holy Spirit would teach us today through His Word. Today we are in the eighth part of a journey through the book of Philippians, which is a short but powerful letter ...from the Apostle Paul in which he is providing for us, demonstrating for us or describing for us... ...what the joy of the Christ-centered life looks like. And so already in just two chapters we have been confronted with some of the most inspiring... ...and beautiful passages throughout the New Testament. Paul describes for us in chapter 1 verses 3 through 5 his gratitude for the Philippians... ...specifically for their partnership in the gospel... And we saw early on that, that the gospel is about a partnership between people and, and, and moving and advancing the gospel forward. We're reminded in chapter 1, verse 6, that the one who began a good work in us and in salvation will bring it to completion, that it is up to him and not up to us. We saw in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, that God desires for His people that we would have a Christ-centered love that knows what is right, pursues what is best, and bears in us the fruit of the Spirit. We saw in chapter 1, verse 18, Paul's single-minded commission to the, to commitment to the mission of Jesus Christ that no matter what happens to him, the most important thing is that Christ is proclaimed. And in verse 21, we see as Paul is describing his his situation in prison, he says, for me to live is Christ, and for me to to die is gain. And for the last several weeks, we've been unpacking what Paul means in chapter 1, verse 27, when he encourages us as Christians to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. What does that mean? What does it mean that our lives are, demonstrate or publicly say something about the worth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've seen that it involves standing firm for the gospel in the face of opposition. It involves putting our selfish ambition aside in order to pursue unity in the church and to serve one another. We've seen that living a life that is worthy of the gospel means that we commit to pursue the mind of Jesus Christ, as Paul outlines in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And then last week we saw that living a life that is worthy of the gospel is demonstrated by the power of the gospel living transformed lives against the backdrop of a dark culture. That we are to shine as lights against the backdrop of darkness. These are all admonitions of what it means to live a life that is worthy of the gospel In the chapters to come, in chapters 3 and 4, we will continue to see powerful verses that Paul will give us, such as to count everything as a loss for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, to press on to the mark of the upward call of God, to rejoice in the Lord always, to be content in each and every circumstance. We're going to see all of these powerful scriptures. And yet, when we come to the letter today, we come to somewhat of an interlude in Paul's letter. As a matter of fact, when you when you read the letter and you see all the powerful things he said up to this point and all the things he's about to say, and you read this text, you're almost like, okay, I don't really know what to do with that. I don't really know what I'm supposed to draw out of that today. In the middle of these great exhortations to the church, Paul inserts a travel itinerary. He talks about his plans to visit the church in Philippi in the near future. And he says in the meantime, he's sending Epaphroditus, their friend and and, and brother who who they sent to him. He's sending them back. And in the near future, he's going to be sending his young protege, Timothy, also to the church. And on the surface, there doesn't seem to be anything of spiritual power in these verses. There doesn't seem to be any one of those, those verses that you can grab onto and say, that's the word of God for me today. And I think because of that, sometimes there's a temptation to skip over verses like this and move on. But when we do, we miss something very important that God has for us because every word in the Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit and is there for our benefit and our Christ-likeness. And so with that in mind, I want us to read this text this morning, and then I want us to talk about what it means to be models of Jesus Christ. We've been doing this the last couple of weeks. I think it's helpful. So if you would, would you stand with me as we read God's Word this morning, just in honor of the Word of God? Philippians chapter 2, verse 19, Paul says, "...I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon." I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious." So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died in the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Would you pray with me? Father, we just pray this morning that you would speak a word to us from your word, that you would show us what it means to be models of Christ to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what does a travel itinerary like this teach us about the joy of Christ-centered living? We talked about that being the central theme, but, but in, that, in that passage, what we see are really just Paul describing what's going on and how he hopes to see, visit them and what he's going to do in the meantime. And what does that passage t- teach us about what it means to live Christ-centered lives? Well, I believe one of the benefits of this particular text is that is that it gives us a glimpse inside, of the relationship that the Apostle Paul shared, not only with the leaders in this church, but with those who were ministering alongside of him. And it shows us the qualities of men like Timothy and Epaphroditus that made them models and examples for others to follow. You see, one of the great blessings that God gives us in the church is that he gives us people who model for us the Christian life and encourage us with their leadership in our lives. And and here in this text, we see three men, we're going to talk about in just a second, who all serve in different ways as models of what it means to be a Christ-centered follower. And so as we continue to look at Paul's admonition that he gives us earlier in chapter 2, when he says that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling and that we're to live lives worthy of the gospel, what we see is that as we do that, we become models for others in the Christian life. Our takeaway today is simply this, that the gospel of Jesus Christ empowers us as followers of Jesus to be models of Christ-like faithfulness in the lives of other people. The gospel of Jesus empowers us that if the gospel is real and if we need the gospel each and every day like we do, then as we trust in Christ and as we continue to preach the gospel to ourselves and as we continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, what will happen to us eventually is as we grow in Christ, God uses us as models in the lives of other people of what it means to be faithful to Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind, I just want to give you three thoughts this morning. And the first of those is what we're just talking about, is the models that God provides for us. The models that God provides in our lives. As we've already read, while Paul is providing some description about his future travel plans, he identifies to the Philippians two men who who are not only instrumental to Paul while he's in a Roman prison, but also instrumental in his plans for the church at Philippi. Those two men are Timothy and Epaphroditus. Timothy is mentioned in verse 19, and Epaphroditus is mentioned in verse 25. And we see in this text that as we've already seen earlier, when Paul was working through that tension about being in prison and awaiting trial and not really knowing what the outcome of the trial was going to be, and not really knowing whether they were going to find him guilty and, and probably take his life or release him. even in that earlier text, we saw Paul saying, I, I'm, "I'm confident that that, that I will be released for your benefit to continue to minister to you as my brothers and sisters in Christ. So, so Paul anticipates that whatever's going on in this particular situation is going to work out for his release eventually. And he says in this text that we read today that when he's released, he plans to go back through Philippi and all those other churches that he had established to encourage them. And you can imagine what an encouragement that would have been to them, knowing that the last time they saw the Apostle Paul when he traveled through, he came through to minister and encourage them, but when he went to Jerusalem, he ended up being arrested and thrown in prison and then eventually taken to Rome. And you can imagine some of them were pretty discouraged that we may never see the Apostle Paul again. What an encouraging word for Paul to say, I not only anticipate being released, but I anticipate coming to see you again soon. And yet before he could do that, he had plans to send his young son in the faith, Timothy, to them to encourage them. He said, I want to send Timothy to you because I, I want Timothy to encourage you about what's going on with me and I also want him to bring back an encouraging report from you. He, he wanted Timothy to go and, and, and find out what, what is really going on with the believers in Philippi and to come back and, and, and Paul anticipated that it would be a good report and encouraging news. But he says, I can't send Timothy right now because I really don't know what's going to happen with me. He needs to stay with me a little while longer. In the meantime... I'm sending back Epaphroditus to you. And we see in this text what happened with, which is that the church had had picked out Epaphroditus to be a, a messenger of the church and a minister to Paul when they when they heard that Paul was in prison they, they thought, we need to send somebody there to encourage him and to minister to him. And and the most likely person was this young man named Epaphroditus. And so they sent Epaphroditus. They, it seems as though they also sent some sort of financial gift with him from the church to help him to help meet his financial needs while he was there. And they said, we want you to go there and minister to Paul. But along the way, he became ill and almost died. Yet he finished the mission and he got to Paul and he gave them the report and He was recovering there, and and Paul says, you know what? He's been a great minister to me, but I think he needs to go back to, to you because I think he's more beneficial to you in the church than he is to me. And so in this passage of Scripture, we see three early church leaders who served as examples and models for this one particular church in Philippi. Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. And their presence in this text helps us to to, to see a key truth that many of us often overlook in the church. And that truth is this. That all of us need authentic examples of gospel transformation to help us grow in the faith. All of us need, at some point in time, authentic examples of the gospel to help encourage us to grow in our faith. In this text we see three of them. We see Paul. Paul was a a faithful apostle and defender of the gospel. You know all about Paul. You've you've read about him. You know that Paul was a, a man who was transformed by the Spirit of God and was a man who was used like no other in history to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was the founder of the church in Philippi. In Acts chapter 16, we read that. And in many ways, Paul was a a spiritual father for the believers there because he was there. He was the man who, who personally shared the gospel with most of them. He was not only the man who shared the gospel with them, but he was also the man who discipled many of them as to what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ and And he he continued to come back to that church to to continue to disciple them, to continue to develop leadership in them. But we also see Timothy. and who is Timothy? Well, Timothy is a loyal and selfless son in the faith. He's, he's Paul's son in the faith, as he says in the book of First and Second Timothy. Paul found this young man and, and made him his protege in, in the city of Lystra in Acts chapter 16. As a matter of fact, just before he went to Philippi, just before he went into the region of Macedonia, he had gone through the city of Lystra and while he was there, he had met a, a family and he met a, a, a woman and her mother and the their grandson and son, Timothy. Now Timothy was part Jewish and part Greek his his mother was a, a faithful Jewish lady who was married to a, a Gentile Greek man and his his mother and his grandmother were not only devout Jews but they were also early believers in Jesus Christ and Paul even says in the in the book of Timothy, that his mother and his grandmother had had planted the word of God in him repeatedly from an early age. And so all throughout his age, all throughout his childhood and his young adulthood, this was a young man who, who had a mother and a grandmother who continued to speak the word of God into his life. And the word of God found root in his heart. And eventually when he heard the gospel, he became to be a believer. And when Paul shows up in Lystra, he finds this this promising young man who is green and who has a lot of potential. And he's got so much potential that Paul says, you know what, I'm fixing to go and preach the gospel. I want you to come along with me. Can you imagine what that was like for Timothy? To have the apostle Paul say, I want you to come alongside of me. He left the city of Lystra. And by the time of this writing, when he writes to the church at Philippi... Timothy has been Paul's constant travel companion for about 10 years. 10 years of of watching Paul preach the gospel, watching Paul disciple people, watching Paul um, stand before his critics, watching Paul take incredible beatings for the Lord Jesus Christ and ministering to Paul through those times, watching Paul go to Jerusalem and go to the temple and be arrested, watching Paul being transported back to Rome and and awaiting trial, and he's been there with him all the time as a loyal and selfless son in the faith. And then we see a young man by the name of Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was an enduring and honorable servant of Christ. Not much is known about Epaphroditus outside of this letter. He was likely a disciple there in the church at Philippi, and and by, by the fact that the church gave him the mission of going to see Paul, He was likely a trusted leader in the church. I'm not sure if he was an elder in the church. He was not the pastor from what we understand. But he was probably a a deacon or an elder or some early leader in the church. And as we already said, when the Philippians heard that Paul was in prison in Rome, they wanted to minister to him. And so they thought Epaphroditus is the man who's most qualified to take on this task And as we said, he got ill and almost died, and yet he completed the mission. And and Paul, when when he describes Epaphroditus, he tells the church, you need to honor this guy because he endured a lot to complete the mission that you gave him. He is an enduring and honorable servant of Christ. Three men, Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus, who were all influential leaders in the church at Philippi and powerful models of Christian faithfulness in different ways. And I believe that one of the reasons why this church was such a healthy church in the New Testament was because of the models of men like this. As I said earlier, we all need models of Christian faithfulness in our life to help us to grow in the faith and to become what God has called us to be. So who are the models that God has placed in your life? As you look back on your own spiritual pilgrimage, who are the models that you say, you know what, that was someone that God used in an influential way in my life. For me, there's a number of them. I, uh, there are some who, who are extended models who I've never met. Uh, I did meet one of my ministry heroes a few years ago, John MacArthur. I got to meet him briefly, shake his hand, and thank him for his faithfulness to the Word of God. John MacArthur has been preaching at Grace Community Church for 50 years. He has faithfully preached through the entire New Testament at that church. That's, that's a goal that I could never fathom. And he's been a powerful teacher of the Word of God in my life. I've got men like Charles Spurgeon and Martin Lloyd-Jones who've long since gone to heaven, but their ministry influence continues to minister to me to this day. And more living and more, more, more current models in my life, I have my, my pastor, Mickey Dalrymple. Some of you know Mickey, lived here in Decatur for a little while. Mickey came into my life when, when I was a young man who needed to hear the Word of God and needed the Lord Jesus Christ. And, And he preached the word faithfully, but not only that, he always made time for this troublesome young man who kept showing up at his door of his office wanting a little bit of time. First time I ever ate Chinese food was with Mickey Dalry, I've never eaten Chinese food in my whole life. He said, you want to go to lunch? I said, yeah. He said, we're going to Peking Chinese Restaurant. I'd I'd never eaten Chinese food in my whole life. I didn't know what to order. He bought my lunch that day. And he talked to me about what, who the Lord was. When I committed to ministry, he mentored me. He took me to preaching conferences and Bible conferences and, and showed me what it was to be a faithful leader in the church. I don't want to inflate his head, but I think about models and I think about my father-in-law, Scotty Hogan, who's with me here today. Scotty's been not only a great father-in-law, he's also been a tremendous example of gospel faithfulness. 42 years of faithfully preaching the Word of God in a number of different ministry contexts. Took the chance on a a raw, green, unproven young man to be his youth minister and then had the audacity to say, Can I marry your daughter? (laughs) And from that point on, he has continued to pour into my life and encourage me to see things in me that I couldn't see in myself. And he's been a tremendous influence in my life. Those are great models. But, you know, some of us would look at them and say, well, that's easy because those are pastors and preachers and, 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 and those guys are easy to pick out as models in the Christian life. But, you know, I've got two men in my life who are models for me you've never heard of. And yet they've been more influential to me than just about anybody else. Those two men were men by the name of Pat Spainauer and Don Davis. Don Davis was my 11th grade Sunday school teacher and Pat Spainauer was my 12th grade Sunday school teacher. In a time in my life when my family was was falling apart, when my mom and dad were splitting up, when I was going through a tremendously difficult time, I knew that every single Sunday morning that I showed up at church, I had Pat Spainauer and Don Davis who were going to be there to encourage me as a young man who saw things in me that I didn't see in myself. And even after I graduated from their Sunday school class and even after I went off to seminary to study the ministry, every time I would come home, I would see Pat Spanauer and I would see Don Davis and they would always ask me how I was doing. They would always tell me they were praying for me. They'd always tell me that they loved me and that they were proud of me. And those two men are perfect lay people who were models of Christian faithfulness in my life. And God used them to influence me for the gospel. So who are those models in your life? I tell you what, in your notes, if you're taking notes, write down the name of somebody that God has used in your life in an influential way to model the Christian life. Just think about it. Just write somebody's name down. Maybe never haven't thought about that before. Might have been a Sunday school teacher when you were in fourth grade. Might have been a deacon in the church. Might have been a pastor. Might have been your mother or your grandmother or your father. Who has been a model in your life that every time you saw them, they were a model of consistency and faithfulness and they continually encouraged you not only by their example but by their words to continue to pursue Christ? The reality is is that you've got them. And if you think long and hard enough, if you take some time on this rainy afternoon when you've got nothing better to do this afternoon, and just sit down and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal those people to you I promise you, God's going to reveal probably five or six or seven of them. Some of them have long since passed. Some of them are still alive. Maybe this week you can take a little card and write a card to them and say, I just wanted to tell you that, that you probably don't even know how much you influenced me when I was younger in the faith, and, and I'm a follower of Jesus today because of your influence in my life. Who are your models? But better yet, who are you modeling the gospel for? Who are you standing as a model for in life? And some of you would say, oh, Pastor Matt, I'm, I'm not a model for anybody. I, I mean, I'm just... I'm just a regular church member. I just I just show up at church, and 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 for many of us, that idea of thinking about how we model the Christian life for other, for many of us, that's very uncomfortable. We don't like attention. We we don't really want to. We don't really want to be praised for things that we do. But the reality of it is, is that God intends for you to be a model for somebody. God has placed somebody in your life who either isn't following Jesus Christ or is young in the faith. And they need you to pour into their life to be a model for them. You don't have to be perfect, you don't have to know the Bible front and back. You don't have to be able to preach a sermon, but you got time to take them to lunch. You got time to just sit down and ask them how they're doing and how their how their walk with God is going. You got time to to encourage them to pursue Christ. And the reality of it is, is that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a model of the gospel for somebody. So who are you modeling the gospel for? And who would write your name down on a piece of paper today if they were asked that very same question? Paul said to the church, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. What a great word. Paul didn't say, hey, look at me and just do whatever I do. He wasn't just saying, hey, everybody put your attention up here and and follow me because I'm the perfect example of the Christian life. Paul said, I am following Christ and I am trying in the best way possible to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ and you need to follow me and the best way for you to imitate Christ is to try to imitate what I'm doing. I'm not perfect. We know that. Paul says that in Romans chapter 7. I'm not what I need to be. The things that I want to do I don't do and the things I don't want to do are the things that I keep doing. But even as imperfect as Paul was, Paul says, Hey, church, imitate me, follow me as I follow Christ. I want us to see the models that God provides, but I want us to secondly see the influence that we steward in Christ. I want us to see the influence that we steward in Christ. When we see Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, we don't just see them as examples of early church leaders. We also see them as men who had influence and knew how to use that influence to help others to follow Jesus. Throughout the book of Acts, we see Paul's powerful influence leading others to Christ, planting churches and making disciples. And many of us know that before his conversion, Paul had an ambition to be a great Pharisee and a leader within the Jewish community. We're going to see that text in just a couple of weeks when Paul reads for us his spiritual resume. And he talks to us about the, the zealousness that with which he pursued God. He, he longed to be an influential person for God. And yet after his conversion, when he came to know Jesus Christ, Paul channeled all of that energy, all of that drive, and all of that ambition into one goal to make sure that everyone he came into contact with heard the truth of the gospel. Paul understood that the gospel is is a trust that you and I are given and an influence that we must steward carefully. Paul's influence was was influential in Timothy's young life when when he was raw and green and knew a lot about the scriptures but didn't know a lot lot about what it meant to follow Jesus. And Paul saw amazing potential in Timothy and invited him to, to be his traveling companion. And Timothy saw Paul share the gospel not only in Lydia but in other places. And Paul leveraged the influence that he had in Timothy's life to continue to develop him into the man that he needed to be in Christ to the point that when Paul goes back to prison a few years later in Rome and he writes to his young son in the faith... He's encouraging and challenging him to stand firm as a a testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ and a faithful leader in the church. By that time, Timothy was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And Paul's not only writing to this young disciple to tell him to pursue Christ, but he's talking to him about what it means to lead the people of God. Timothy is now a mature disciple by this time. Paul says that he has no one in his life that means as much to him as Timothy. Because Timothy learned from the Apostle Paul what it was like to steward gospel influence. And that's why he says Timothy has, has proven his worth. That's what he says in verse 22. You know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with the Father, he has served with me in the gospel. So he says, you know all about this guy. You watched when we planted the church there. You know how much he loves Jesus. Why was Timothy the way that he was? He was the way that he was because of the influence of Paul in his life. Epaphroditus also had many endearing qualities that Paul attaches to him. He says in in, in verse 25 that he's a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, a brother in Christ, and a minister to my need. Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus are each examples of this truth, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just a message that we believe And it's not just a message that we proclaim to others. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a lifestyle and a trust that you and I must steward. The reality of our lives is this, that if you're a follower of Jesus, God has given you a certain amount of influence in the lives of other people that He intends you to use to lead them into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian... And not just a Christian because you've attached your name to something that you believed when you were in third grade and walked an aisle and got prayer and got baptized, but if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then by necessity, that gospel that you believe becomes a trust that you must hold. And that gospel comes with a certain amount of influence that God intends for you to leverage in the life of somebody to help them know Jesus. And you and I must be very careful with the influence that we have in other people and understand that influence is a trust that we must steward carefully. Nothing can disrupt the gospel in someone's life than a callous use of the influence that someone has in the life of someone that we can lose our influence in a moment by poor decisions or callous words. The gospel is an influence, a trust that we must steward. I put this in your notes there. Gospel influence come with others isn't just a matter of if, it's a matter of how. It's not a matter of am I influencing others Knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's not the question. The question is, who am I influencing, and how am I influencing them? The old gospel, the old uh, song from the '80s said, "You're the only Jesus some will ever see. You're the only words of life that some will ever read." That's true. You see, the gospel is not just good news that we believe unto salvation. It's not just good news that we believe that that changes our eternal destiny. But the gospel is a valuable treasure that has been entrusted to us as the church. And the number one thing that we exist to do as the church is to communicate and demonstrate the gospel in our own lives. And the gospel is not just communicated here from a pulpit. The gospel is communicated and demonstrated every single day in the way that we live our lives with the people that God places in our path. We've already talked about the fact that you are a follower of Christ today. Because someone somewhere in your past used their influence to influence you, to tell you and show you Jesus. It may have been a grandmother. It may have been a parent. It may have been a Sunday school teacher. It may have been a football coach. But somebody somewhere used their trust in the gospel and their influence with you to continually encourage you to believe in Jesus Christ. And that's why you came to faith in him. Someone stewarded their influence well. And God calls you and me to do the same. So who is following Jesus today because of your influence in their life? If you're writing down on that piece of paper people that have influenced you, who is following Jesus today? And and this is not a humble brag. This is not some way for you to pat yourself on the back. It's literally, who can you say is following Jesus because... You used the gospel influence that God gave you to speak the word of truth into their life. And because of that, they're a follower of Jesus today. And how are you stewarding the influence that God has given you with other people? The reality is that you are, you are using your influence. The question is, are you using your influence for Christ Because I've noticed that we can influence people with our politics and our passions, but are we really influencing them for the things that really matter in life? So not only do we see the models that God provides, and not only do we see the the influence that we steward, but ultimately we see the ministry of multiplication in this text. We see the ministry of multiplication. What we see in Paul's description here are the layers of disciple-making that existed in the life of the Apostle Paul. You see, Paul was not just an evangelist and a church planter, but he was also one of the most effective disciple-makers in the history of the church. Paul tells us his pattern for disciple-making when he writes to Timothy when Timothy's in Ephesus and Paul is back in prison in Rome. In 2 Timothy two two, Paul says this to Timothy, What you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Listen to that again. Timothy, what you heard me tell you in the presence of many other people, you entrust to faithful men who are then able to teach and entrust that to others also. What Paul tells us, Timothy, is the gospel is a message that we hear and believe, but we replicate. It's not just a message that we hear. It's not just a message that we believe. It's not just good news that guarantees us a ticket to heaven. But the nature of the gospel is that we are to replicate that and to multiply that into other people's lives. We become disciples of Jesus Christ and then we share that message with others in such a way that they not only believe it, but they are empowered as disciples to share that message with others. You see, discipleship doesn't happen until those who become disciples know how to tell somebody else how to be a disciple and teach them how to tell somebody else to be a disciple. Do you see that? That's called multiplication. And that's been God's pattern for 2,000 years. The gospel is continually transferred by disciples who make disciples who make other disciples. And here's the principle that I want us to understand. Multiplication is always better than addition, right? How many of you remember going through school when you were in third, fourth grade and you had to learn your multiplication tables? It always seemed like multiplication was harder than addition, wasn't it? Like you could get two plus two equals four because you could do this, right? And you, 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 could, you could figure it out with your fingers most of the time with, with addition, but multiplication was just something you had to memorize, right? Five times five equals 25. Six times six equals? 36. See, you got it, you know? You, you learned it. <laughs> but you had to, you had to it, it didn't come easy, because you were wanting to go six times six is 12. No, 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 six times six is 36. You just had to keep, but here's the thing, multiplication is always better than addition. Perhaps you've heard this illustration before, but I'll just 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 go with me for a second. Just imagine this morning that I had I had two things up here, two envelopes, and in one envelope I had ten thousand dollars, and in the other envelope I had a penny. And I told you I could give you a choice this morning. I could give you ten thousand dollars a day for the next thirty-one days, or I could give you a penny, and it's a magic penny, and it doubles every single day. And you can have a penny that will double every single day for the next 31 days. Would you take $10,000 a day for the next 31 days, or would you take a magical penny that doubles every single day? Most of you know where it's going. You say, well, i take the penny, but I don't really know why. (laughs) Right? Well, here's the deal. Let's do addition. If you took $10,000 a day for 31 days, how much money would you have? You're all going, okay, wait a minute. You'd have $310,000, right? $10,000 a day, 31 days, $310,000. Could you do something with $310,000? Yeah. But if I gave you a magical penny that doubled every single day for 31 days, you know how much money you would have at the end of that 31 days? $10,737,418. How many of you want the penny? You know why? Because multiplication is always better than addition. Now here's the point. God's plan for the church is not the addition of church members, but the multiplication of disciples. God's plan for His church is not the addition of church members, but the multiplication of disciples. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a disciple. And the disciple-making process is not complete in your life until you learn how to make other disciples who make disciples. I'm going to talk a lot more about this in the months and years to come as we try to infuse a disciple-making culture within Central Park Baptist Church. But what we see here in this text is Paul's multiplication ministry in making disciples. You see this in your, in your, in your notes there. The Apostle Paul was reached to the gospel by the Lord Jesus Christ himself on the road to Damascus. And Christ reached Paul, but then Paul was discipled. He was not only discipled, as he talks about in the book of Galatians, by the Apostle Jesus himself. That was probably pretty cool. That the Lord Jesus personally visited him and discipled him in the the scriptures. But he was also uh, discipled by the other apostles when he went to Jerusalem and met with them. And they talked with him about what Jesus was like and the stories that Jesus told them and the miracles that Jesus did and the truths that they learned from Christ. And they discipled this, this young Christian. And then Paul went out to begin to Preach the gospel and plant churches and he made disciples and he met Timothy and t- disciple Timothy. And then he put Timothy into other churches, and Timothy was to disciple other men and teach them how to disciple other men. And so the gospel went from Christ to Paul to Timothy and Epaphroditus on to others until it reached you. We're all products of disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And each and every time a person is one to Christ and discipled on how to walk with Jesus and disciple others, we multiply disciples. Unfortunately, in the church, in the last several decades, we've settled for addition instead of multiplication. And what we've tended to do in the church is we tend to add followers of Jesus and church members. We add church members, we put them in the pews, we give them religious programs to attend... And then a few of them tell their friends and neighbors about the church and invite them to church. But for the most part, we just occasionally add people to the church. But we're not adding followers of Jesus in such a way to keep up with the expansive growth of the lost people in our world, especially in our country. And the reason why the church is declining in influence and the reason why churches are closing their doors all across the landscape of evangelical Christianity in America. And the reason why we have empty pews here in in, in a city that has more churches per capita than any city I've been in in my entire life is because for the most part in the church we've settled on addition when God says i got a plan for multiplication. And the reality is, whenever we stop multiplying disciples and start settling for adding members, the church begins the process of spiritual atrophy. Whenever we stop multiplying disciples and just settle for adding good church members, we begin the slow process of decay. Here's where it becomes practical. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ then you have heard and trusted in the eternity-changing good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You heard news that changed your eternal destiny. If you're a follower of Jesus, then one day you were, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were hell-bound. As one of my friends said, you were blowing the whistle on the train to hell. And somebody shared with you the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you said, that's good news, that's almost too good to believe. But you did believe. Because you believed, Jesus Christ came into your life, became your Lord and Savior, changed your life. And not only changed your life, but changed your eternal destiny. And the gospel of Jesus became the power of God into salvation for you. But God did not give that to you to turn you into a good church member who sits on a pew and listens to somebody else talk about the Bible. Instead, Jesus Christ has commissioned you as a disciple, just like He did every one of His disciples in Matthew 28, who goes in the power of the Spirit of God to make other disciples. You have a gospel influence to steward. And God has made you a model for others to follow. And now you and I have to commit to the ministry of multiplication and go and make disciples. We're going to talk more about this in the... Weeks to come, but the Southern Baptist Convention just this week launched a new evangelism initiative called Who's Your One? If you remember the first Sunday I preached here as your pastor, one of the things that we talked about was was praying for one person for 30 days. When we came in here that day, there were were post-it notes all over the pews, and I ask you to take that post-it note and write the name of one person in your life that you want to pray that they would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you still tell me about the person that you're praying for. Some of you have had opportunity to have gospel conversations because of that person. Some of you kind of forgot about that note, maybe in the back of your Bible somewhere. But the reality of it is is that there are over 200 million lost people right now in the United States of America. And the mission field that we live in is large. But we will never win the the people to Christ if we focus on the multitude. What we must focus on is the one person that God places in our heart and God places in our path. See, disciples are not made through mass crusades. Disciples are made one at a time as we share the gospel with the people that God's put in your path. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to join into this initiative with the North American Mission Board. We're going to talk about who's your one. We're going to talk about ways that we can unpack that as a church. But the reality of it is, is that I'm not asking you to go out and reach the whole city of Decatur for Jesus Christ. I'm just asking you to reach one person with the gospel. I'm just asking you to pray for one person and have a gospel conversation with them. We have until now, until Easter... And one of the most strategic opportunities we have as a church to make a difference in the lives of people for Jesus Christ. And we live still in the Bible-saturated Bible belt of, of, the, of, of the United States of America. Where even some of the most lost reprobates understand, you got to go to church on Easter. <laughs> it's not that hard where we live to find people who are at least interested in going to hear about Jesus on Easter Sunday. But they're not going to come to Jesus because we put a sign up on the, on the marquee out here that says, we're open Easter Sunday, y'all come. And they're not going to come to Jesus because, because we open the doors and it's Easter Sunday. They're going to come to Jesus because someone in this place is going to take time to pray for them, is going to take an opportunity to engage them, and is going to invite them not only to, to church, but also invite them to trust in Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you to be, begin praying for the Holy Spirit to reveal to you just one person. And he may reveal to you more than that. That's fine. But one person that you are going to pray like you've never prayed before. And you're going you're to look for an opportunity not to not to berate them with religiosity. Not to condemn them. You know, you're sorry dog, you haven't been to church in two years. you always come to church on Easter Sunday. Let's, let's kind of stay away from that approach, okay? And just say, you know what? God is doing an amazing thing in my life right now. And I want you to hear about it. Would you you come to church with me on Easter Sunday morning? Here's what I want, okay? A lot of you are very comfortable because you sit in the same place every single Sunday. I'm hoping we have so many people here Easter Sunday that you don't have a seat. (laughs) And you have to go out there and stand because somebody in here that needs to know the Lord Jesus is hearing about Christ. The reality of it also is is there are a number of people here today that you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You come to church and you've got a nice religious mask and you wear it well and and, and you know how to say the right things, but the reality of it is is that you aren't a disciple who makes disciples because you're not a disciple. You've settled for just kind of believing the right stuff in your head and, and saying the right things with your mouth, but you've never trusted Jesus Christ with your heart. And in just a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today. I know what it's like because I sat on a pew and I prayed prayed the same prayer a dozen times before I ever really meant it. I know what it's like. I've met people, I I baptized a lady a few years ago who had been going to church for, for 30, 40 years before she ever really truly knew the gospel and trusted in Jesus as her Lord and Savior. So maybe there's somebody here today that you need to know the Lord Jesus Christ and you need to trust and believe the good news. Today, just a moment, we're going to sing a, a song of invitation, a song of response and give you an opportunity to trust in Jesus today. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm going to ask you to do something today, Holy Spirit, that only you can do. I'm going to ask you to speak to dead hearts and bring them back to life. I'm going to ask you to, to, to speak the gospel into people's lives today, Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray for anyone in here who's struggling with what they believe and and, and where they are with you, God, that you would call them to you, that you would show them how much you love them, that your love was perfectly demonstrated on the cross when you sent your son to die for our sins and then he rose from the grave to win victory over sin and death. So, Father, help them to trust that this morning. And, Father, for the rest of us here who've, who've been followers of you for a long time but maybe haven't used the influence that you've placed within us, in the right manner. We, we, we've influenced people for all kinds of conversations, none of which had anything to do with Jesus, God. I pray that you would, you would help us to repent of that, and I pray you would help us to trust you, and I pray that you would help us to commit to being models of Christlike faithfulness for others, not models of perfection, just models of faithfulness. So do this for us today, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand, sing this song, and respond as the Lord leads you? Amen.